Welcome back, welcome, welcome back. This is the Nostalgia Mixtape, a podcast where we use music to unlock memories. I'm your host, Saman Ashrawi, and, well, wait for it. This my time machine, take me way back, way back. This my time machine, take me way back, way, way back. This my time machine, take me way back, way back. Take me four and four, this ain't just a car. This my time machine. This week's episode, we've got this guy named Hamish Anderson. He's from Melbourne, Australia. And he's just one of the most wicked young guitar players that we've got in the world, and we're honored to have him on. Something that comes up this week is full circle moments. You know, those kind of moments when you're hyper aware of the way someone or something influenced you and led you to the moment that you're currently in, and in an ideal scenario, you're even able to pay it back or pay it forward. Hamish and I both are kind of connected to the guitarist Gary Clark Jr., who you heard on the first season, in different and similar ways. One dissimilar way would be that I have no idea how to play the guitar. But we both have full circle moments that are tethered to him. For me, it was the fall of 2017. I had finally made enough money to start giving back to my parents in ways that were relatively big for me. So I flew my dad to Los Angeles to see Eric Clapton play live at the Forum. Gary Clark and Jimmy Vaughn were opening. And, you know, Eric Clapton, of course, got his first major break as a member of the band Cream, a band that some would say was kind of like one of the bridges between the blues and heavy metal. I know you're thinking about heavy metal and you're like, how could that be related to the blues? Well, everything is really the blues if you go back far enough, in my opinion. So anyway, Cream's greatest hit CD was a permanent fixture of our family road trips growing up. My dad and I had memorized exactly the moment when on the song Crossroads, the live version, because we're nerds, someone, I don't know if it's their bassist, Jack Bruce, shouts, Eric Clapton, ladies and gentlemen, or something like that, as the song is fading out. Like, we know the exact moment when that happens. We both say it together. It's very cute. And then, of course, there's my dad's favorite song, White Room, which is an odyssey of a song. It's kind of kicked off with these epic strings and it's cleaned up with a monster of a guitar solo from Eric Clapton. And if there was ever a song that was made for cross-country road trips, White Room is definitely one of those songs. So those road trips listening to Clapton and B.B. King were extremely impactful on me and were undoubtedly the reason why I dove so deep into the blues as a teenager. So in college, when I found out that there was a budding guitarist from Austin named Gary Clark Jr., I just instantly decided that I was gonna be a fan. That was my dad's influence. And then, over the years, as you know from Gary's episode, we became friends. And always in the back of my head, I knew that our friendship probably never would have happened if it weren't for my dad and those road trips. So as my dad sat in the old arena that used to house the Lakers and the Sparks, watching Gary open up for Eric Clapton, I had that same heightened sense of awareness. None of this would be happening without him. And then Clapton got on stage, and my dad and I shot to our feet. Baba, as we call him in Arabic, whipped out his phone and started taking videos and pictures like he was a teenager. It was so sweet. Clapton, you know, he was older by that time, but he still had it. He still could do those solos. And just when we'd 
sat back down because her legs had gotten tired from standing. Clapton launched into White Room and there were those strings again and we both shot back up. And I was doing pretty well at keeping it all together until Clapton got to the chorus, which is done in a falsetto. And then I just lost it. And I'm not sure if my dad noticed, but I was definitely crying. You know, after all those years of listening to that song together, I was able to get us to Clapton's concert. So of course I was gonna cry. And just when I thought I couldn't get any more emotional, I felt a tap on my shoulder, I turned around, and it was my friend Gaston, who works for Gary. He was standing behind me with a tub of hummus and some pita chips. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, that's the hummus is the only thing that could have made that moment better, like truly. And it was right there in front of me, and that was Gaston. So I basically clapped into Gaston's arms, overwhelmed by all my emotions. And it was really sweet, so thank you for that, Gaston. Those were more financially comfortable times for me, but as Willie Nelson once said, it's only money, it'll go away. It's always changing pockets. It'll get back to mine someday. So thanks to Eric Clapton for all those memories. Now let's buckle up and tune in to Hamish Anderson's story. There might even be some live music. Stick around, you'll see. Hi, this is Hamish Anderson, and you're listening to the Nostalgia Mixtape. <laughs> My name is Amish Anderson. I'm a singer, songwriter, and guitarist from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm um, happy to be here and just released an album and happy to be in LA. Oh, that's some good news. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, where are we? Where are we with yeah. this? Uh... Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, Melbourne, Australia. Okay. For starters. I guess I must have been 11 or 12, so we're talking like 2003, mm -hmm. around then. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I just had. A lot of interest, but nothing ever stuck. Mm -hmm. So it was like I would get really into film, mm -hmm. really into actors and directors and stuff. Loved that for a couple months, then changed to like writers or whatever. And mm -hmm. it was always just kind of moving and nothing really stuck. And then uh, my dad ha was super into music and okay. all types of music from like classical to <clears throat> rock and pop and everything. So he would play a lot of different stuff. And when you're young, you kind of hate everything that your parents like sure and then one day i just kind of picked up he had a cd of the white album by the beatles mm -hmm. didn't know anything about the beatles or whatever put it on first track was back in the ussr and that was like the moment that that guitar just like stuck out to me so much mm -hmm. that something like the wiring in my brain just changed at that moment and i just played it over and over and over again became obsessed with 
the idea of guitar, wanted a guitar, spent a month basically begging my parents to get me a guitar when they wouldn't because everything else was always just changing. You yeah. know, I'd get in, they'd buy me something, I'd get into it, chuck it away. Yeah. So I just begged and begged and begged. And finally, like, my parents gave in, took me to the guitar store. Yeah. I bought a, I thought it was a Jimmy Page, I thought it was a Les Paul. Okay. But it was like a real cheap Ibanez <laughs> that just was the same color. So my dad was probably super relieved that it yeah. wasn't a Les Paul. Yeah. Uh, so they got me that. And that was like, yeah, it's still, I still feel like I'm kind of on that same path mm. now. Just like everything revolves around the guitar. I took it home, played it open, didn't even know you have to like press down on the frets until my sister told me. <laughs> and yeah, that's the thing. The Beatles, especially that album, mm-hmm. it just, it has so much on it stylistically. It's yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And that's the thing that's still like when I write and the albums I love the most and that I try to make. I love that, that it's just all over the place. It doesn't stick to one thing. Like they have the acoustic stuff on there, like Blackbird and mm-hmm. Mother Nature's Son. And then they have stuff that's just so bluesy and stuff that like Helter Skelter that's mm-hmm. meant to be like the first kind of heavy metal-ish thing. So that's like the Beatles. I just became obsessed with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that was basically what made me want to write songs and sing and play guitar. And what, the White Album has uh, Your Blues yeah. on there, right? That's a great song it's crazy yeah and when people talk about like now there's kind of a thing where people like in the whole Beatles Stones conversation I love both of them sure but people always try and be like the Beatles were you know pretty boys and they didn't mm-hmm. weren't as hard as the Stones but stuff like that yeah. is just so sleazy and like dirty that yeah. it's like that's up there with anything the Stones did or whoever else was going on at that time wait do you know about um, Dirty Mac mm-hmm. yeah I feel like no one like knows about it. Yeah. It's crazy that it's it insane. happened. Yeah. Okay. What just for everyone out there? What is your understanding of Dirty Mac? What is Dirty Mac? Yeah, it was the Rolling Stones did this thing called the Rock and Roll Circus. Yep. Which uh, it's a pretty crazy watch, but it's pretty incredible. Yes. And uh, John Lennon was performing. I think maybe his first time without the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, in public, and it was like John Lennon singing, playing rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. Eric Clapton on lead guitar. Yep. Keith Richards on bass yep. and Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix like, experience. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking yeah, about it. It's like a it's true crazy. super group. Yeah. Like all the, the icons from that era. Exactly. And oh. it's just crazy. They do your blues and it's yep. just like, it's everything you would want. That's the perfect group of people for that song. Keith yep. Richards on bass, yep. like Clapton just out of cream, like playing yep. guitar. It's just, and Mitch Mitchell is just, it's crazy. Yeah. And Clapton just absolutely smashed yeah. that solo. Unbelievably yeah. smashed it's that Pete solo. Yeah, it's Pete Clapton. It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> Yoko screaming in the background. Yes, yes. It's the whole thing. Yeah. Girl, you know the reason why. My mother was of the sky. My father was of the earth. But I am of the universe. And you know what it's worth. Girl, you know the reason why The eagle picks my eye The worm, he licks my bone Feels so suicidal Just like Dylan's Mr. Jones I'm lonely Wanna die If I'm dead already Girl, you know the reason why 
cloud crossed my mind Blue mist round my soul Feel so suicidal Even hate my rock and roll I'm lonely Wanna die If I ain't dead already Woo, girl, you know the reason why Okay, so you said your sister was kind of also instrumental in helping you understand the guitar. What yeah. was what was her familiarity with music and where? Yeah, well, I have an older sister. She's mm -hmm. two years older than me, mm -hmm. and she was like we were like opposites at school. She was like a star student, mm -hmm. aced everything, was always like you know head of class, school captain, and I was just terrible at school. Mm -hmm. And uh, she she played classical violin, oh. um, and she was really good at that. She doesn't play anymore, but she should. But so that was like, I would go along when she would get lessons when I was a kid just because my parents had nothing else to do with me. Mm -hmm. So I would sit there and I remember I would, I really admired that she played music. And for a while I tried to play violin as well just because I wanted to be like her and mm -hmm. it didn't go anywhere. And she could play a little bit of piano and stuff. So she had a musical gift and like knowledge. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she was the one that I just like, I remember being like, as soon as I got the guitar, I just wanted to write a song. I didn't want to learn a song. I wanted to write my own song, but obviously <laughs> it's not the way it works. So it I was playing, yeah, yeah, I was playing like the three open strings and I was like, I wrote this. And she was like, you didn't write that. <laughs> and she was like, and you have to actually press down the frets and move them to make sound. And that's just like, I had no idea. I Revolutionary thought, concept. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy stuff to me. I thought I'd just still be doing that. <laughs> she hadn't said. Who would have thought, you know, press down on the frets. Exactly. Totally changes the way the guitar sounds. What a world. Kind of wild. <laughs> So was there, in Melbourne, like, was there an audience for blues music or is that something you really could have only experienced through your your dad being a... Yeah, for me, it was, I mean, yeah, definitely there were people that loved blues music. It was generally probably older people than mm -hmm. most of these. But yeah, my dad, my dad just loved so much of that stuff that after I found the Beatles and became obsessed with the Beatles, mm -hmm. then it was like, I was just on the hunt for anything else that would like give me that buzz mm -hmm. and so obviously then it was like he introduced me to the stones mm -hmm. the who mm -hmm. zeppelin clapton all that stuff and it was like an avalanche of like all these things that just like turned me on and just like opened my mind and yeah like still that's like like i still have really common ground with my dad and we're really close because of that i think that mm -hmm. like all my 
interests, whether it's film or music or anything, have kind of been shaped by him, which is rare, I think. And I think you had the same thing because I remember totally. talking to your dad at the Clapton concert yeah. about that stuff. But it's not <laughs> the way a lot of people like hate anything their parents like. Yeah. And it's like, you know, but that's a really great thing. And it's I, I have that moment, like the back in the USSR moment with a couple songs. Like I remember like it was the same thing when I heard Layla, mm-hmm. like that I just, my dad took me to like a CD shop and he was like, pick out, you know, three CDs. So I picked out like a Who Greatest Hits, that Led Zeppelin Mothership one. Mm-hmm. And there's one called The Cream of Clapton. Mm-hmm. And the Clapton one was the most confusing to me because there was like a fold out and there was photos of him from like the Yardbirds to, I guess this was, you know, kind of like unplugged era mm-hmm. looking Clapton. And he looked different in every single photo. Totally. So I thought it was like a whole bunch of different people. <laughs> and so I was kind of confused at what he's... And everything else was a band. So he was a peg to Eric Clapton. So it was a solo thing. So it was different. And then I remember the first track on that is Layla. And it was the same thing that I can remember like exactly where I was. I was in Queensland. We had like a holiday house up in Queensland and we had a little CD player, mm-hmm. put it on that, cranked it. And it was just like everything stopped. Mm-hmm. And it was like that, that trip in Queensland, I discovered it was hearing that and then hearing a whole lot of love. Oh, it was wow. the same thing on that speaker. And it was just everything else was off like after that. Yeah. I feel like there's in my life and maybe your life too, there's everything that I experienced before I heard a whole lot of love mm. for the first time and everything after. Yeah. That's everything. I remember yeah. even that like little... <laughs> That sound at the start, that cough is like still just like in my head and like, yeah, it's just, it's still every time either of those, any of those songs, I still get excited every yeah. time. It's just like, you know, those are like, if you're picking your, I hate the term classic rock, but if you're yeah. picking your like classic rock yeah. hits, those are, you know, those are the ones. Very elemental, very fundamental. Yeah. Like the first time I heard it, just like the way that Robert Plant's voice, it like sounds like he's like falling off a cliff or yeah. something. Like it just totally like rocked my world. It's it was so different. Unbelievable. That guitar, the yeah. slide, and the whole like middle drum orgasm singing yeah. thing going on. It's just like, yeah. And especially now, like when you, you know, love blues music and stuff, listening to that, it just mm. must have been so insane at the time to hear these guys doing that type of spin on yeah. that music. Like. Yeah, and speaking of your sister, I feel like on A Whole Lot of Love, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I read that Jimmy Page played his guitar partly on that song with like a bow from a violin or something Yeah, like I that. think so. He used to do that whole thing, yeah, yeah, when he would have the violin bow and doing, yeah. It's pretty crazy stuff. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen anyone <laughs> since him do that. It's pretty crazy. <laughs>
Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so at the time you're getting your blues music from your dad. Are you going to see like rock and roll shows in Australia? Um, not a whole lot. It was for a, for a little while. It was just CD. Yeah. Uh, or maybe like DVD at that time, probably. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the first concert I ever went to, it was probably about a year later, was mm-hmm. The Who. Oh, wow. And The Who were coming to Melbourne for the first time in like 30 years. Wow. Because like apparently in like the 60s, they got like banned from coming back to Australia. Because nice. they got like drunk on an airplane, which Classic. is it's Australia. Who doesn't get drunk <laughs> on an airplane? But something happened that they got thrown out. So it was like they were coming back. And I just, you know, I was like so excited to go. And that was definitely the moment where it seemed real. Like, it seemed like you could do this. Like, yeah. before then, I don't know if I necessarily even registered if it was old or new. It was just yeah. I liked the music. Yeah. And then seeing all those people in that huge stadium, mm-hmm. people on stage with guitars, you know, playing music that everyone's in a trance, mm-hmm. that was like, I was like, I want to do that. And I want to be around that. Yes, 100%. And was your first introduction to... Jet, did it happen because they just like blew up and got famous and that's how you heard of them? Or did you know about them way before like we did here in the States? No, yeah, I think it was around the same time because they kind of, that first album, they'd been playing around Melbourne, but I was obviously at that stage way too young to like... How old would you have been? I mean, I would have been like 14 maybe, oh, yeah, like okay. around there. Like I was way yeah. too young to go to clubs or anything. Yeah. But they'd been playing now, like they played it like, back then they were playing at like the iconic Melbourne pub spots. Like there's a mm-hmm. place called the Espy, mm-hmm. which is like... If you grew up kind of any time from the 70s onwards, probably that was where you would go and see rock bands. What is that place like, like if you had to describe it? Uh, well, it's changed now. It actually shut down for a while. Now it's reopened. They've done okay. a good job. It's a little more swanky and okay. this age. But back in the day, it was like very, it was what you wanted from a rock and roll club. You'd mm-hmm. walk in, it smelled like puke. It was like you gotta have kind it. of falling apart a little yeah. bit. You know, How many people could fit in there? There were a couple different rooms. There was like a big room okay. in the back, which that was, that's probably like, you know, 500 person room or so. Mm-hmm. And there were two kind of smaller front bar stages. And they would, you would just slam people in there. Like it was nice. one of those places that was probably too many people yeah. for that spot. But it was just your classic kind of Aussie pub rock venue. Yeah. And so they were playing there and stuff. And they came out of a place in Australia called Dingley, which is like, it's in Melbourne and like I've never heard of it yeah it's no offense to Dingley it's great but not, not much goes on in Dingley okay. I think uh, I think there was like a kind of like a KFC like a chicken place that like it's huge yeah that's huge what people would go through Dingley for yeah. but Jet came out of there so that was pretty crazy that like a bunch of Australian guys from Dingley yeah. were hitting it so big that yeah. like and when I heard that I think I was lucky that I was the perfect age for I'd you know been getting into all that classic rock stuff but then when these younger guys came along, there was that big rock revolution. Mm-hmm. So it was like Jet, mm-hmm. Kings of Leon, The Strokes, mm-hmm. uh, The Hives, Franz Ferdinand, like all that stuff that, and The White Stripes obviously, and all that mm-hmm. stuff that paid respect to the old stuff, but mm-hmm. brought it into the modern age. Totally. So that I think was super influential on me because it was like, oh, it doesn't have to, you know, that thing hasn't just passed and it was something in olden days. It's like, you could be doing that now and a cool, awesome version of it. People were, like, playing guitar on, like, right. MTV then. It was, like, it's uh, it's more rare now to see, like, a rock band than it was, you know, totally. back then. You do not hear guitar solos a lot. Do you no, it's, it's like, a rare happen. species. So yeah. I was lucky because that was really, 
really awesome to like see that stuff and especially that they were Australian like seeing them loving that music and opening for like the Rolling Stones and whatever they were doing then it was just really really inspiring yeah they rocked so yeah, hard are they, they still, do they still play together or? I think they did like a reunion thing last year okay that yeah it would have been cool there's a place in uh, in Melbourne called Cherry Bar that's like a cool it's on ACDC Lane it's like the rock and roll spot so any like touring band from America they always know Wow. about Cherry Bar but there was a thing that like Jet did like a reunion mm-hmm. just like like ACDC they just like played in the middle of the city so in cool. ACDC lane and yeah I hope they do more stuff because they they just kind of disappeared and do they are they like with regards to like Melbourne are, do they have like a key to the city like are they revered like that or like what's their yeah I don't know I think I think it kind of went through a funny thing where maybe I think they were so big at the time that first album was so massive mm-hmm that I think because maybe the second one didn't quite live up to it, there became a thing where maybe people kind of like started to shit on them for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and it became like cool, it became not cool to like that stuff, mm-hmm. which I always liked it because I'm, Same. yeah. But I think now it's kind of done the like, you know, full circle and it's come back and now people are really proud because it's like, you should be. If something comes mm-hmm. out of your, you know, hometown that's that big and has an influence all over the world it's like you should really wave the flag for it yeah 100 percent. i yeah i'm just i was such a big fan of jet the moment i first heard them yeah and for me it was really around the same time where i had just developed that appreciation for like the blues and yeah. rock and roll and so like i feel like if i hadn't if they had come out like a year or two earlier it, it would just wouldn't have clicked for me yeah no me like, too it wouldn't have made sense that's the thing and they, again it was like it was funny because before any of my friends had heard of them or even i had I remember my dad went out and bought that the first Kings of Leon album, mm-hmm. the first Jet album, and I think it was maybe the first or second Strokes album. So he was like, he gave it to me. I didn't even listen to it at first. I just kind of was still on my Who phase and whatever. Right. And then when I listened to it, it was like, it was just so amazing. And again, it was like none of my, it didn't come from like one of my friends. It came from like my like, you know, 50 year old dad or whatever who'd read about it in some magazine. And That's was like, so cool. You'll probably like this. Yeah. <laughs> your dad's relationship to music like did he play in a band when he was younger no yeah neither of my parents are like musical my mom has a good voice but she doesn't never sang or anything um but no they just my dad particularly just a huge music lover like Mm -hmm. you know he grew up through that age so he would you know he saw like zeppelin in concert and followed the stones around in like 1972 when they came to melbourne and yeah it's just like yeah some of the concerts he's seen it just blows my mind that like yeah, to think that people actually saw like Led Zeppelin is just such a strange thing. Now yeah. it's so it's like people that saw the Beatles. It's yeah. just like it's insane. I had a substitute teacher in high school. Who knows if he was lying or not? But I remember 
it was an art class. And art class was the only class where like our teacher would um, let us listen to music like, mm-hmm. while we were in class. And so he was gone, but he left a note for the substitute. Like, let like I guess each of us had like a day where we could pick the music. Obviously, we couldn't play like, cuss words or anything. But I remember I played, uh, I put on Led Zeppelin, and he told us that he went to a Zeppelin concert in the 70s. And I don't know where he got this figure from, but he said that he lost 13% of his hearing. Oh, wow. There you go. That'll do it. That's a pretty good way to lose your hearing, I think. Like, if you do have to lose your hearing, that's the way to That's do the it, way you want to sure. go. Yeah, you 100%. want Jimmy Page just blowing up your head. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I hope that guy's doing well. Um, Hopefully probably, he can hear us. Probably has a hearing aid now. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. Tell me about, speaking of Kings of Leon, what is the story behind the song Genius? Yeah, well that, that was from that first album, okay. Youth and Young Manhood, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And that that whole, kind of its first, I guess, two or three Kings of Leon albums, uh, they completely take me back to being like 16, 17, mm-hmm. kind of when you're first starting to like drink and go out and experience mm-hmm. that stuff. And that was just like, that music was just my soundtrack to that like that was you know when I started to make friends that were more into music and that was like a common ground it was like Kings of Leon and that whole thing just reminds me of like that period of time of just experiencing so many things for like the first time totally and that was like the music like and I would just get drunk and put on Kings of Leon and everyone by the end of it was like you can't put any more Kings of Leon on because I would just put the same song over and over and over and over again and they would have to take it away from me but you can stick it to me like a brigade of porcupine you're getting your information from the grocery checkout line I used to confess it of your little girl obsession cause I was on a mess and I had a little time I was gonna roll back and you still time for you to go I'm gonna spill that your fat drink I'm real king running in the world That whole, that whole period was a really great time, and it was the same thing that like when Kings of Leon, Kings of Leon hit bigger, I think, in Australia and England mm-hmm. before they hit in America. I think mm-hmm. in America it was really when it was like that "You Somebody," "Sex on Fire," mm-hmm. that period. But the early stuff, that was kind of when it was it was like people knew about it in Australia, but it wasn't you know a huge thing all around the world. Mm-hmm. So it was a really cool thing, and it kind of felt like Australia was in on the secret, I guess, mm-hmm. with Europe and stuff. What kind of trouble were you getting into when you were 16? I mean, probably just like a lot of... I remember I had like a friend who uh, me and my girlfriend at the time went on holiday w- with him and our parents, but we were like off with him, and he was like drinking and smoking, and we were like, oh my God, like someone needs to help him like this is like <laughs> not right and then the next day we were all drinking and smoking like it was like that quick of like turn around and how it happened but yeah i mean just like the usual nothing too bad i was a pretty i was a pretty well-behaved kid mm-hmm. but just like you know just too much drinking and yeah. just like 
losing a little bit of focus, I think. Sure. What, what is like sneaking out culture a thing in Australia? Are people sneaking out of the house? No, really. We would have. We had a friend who uh, his his parents had split up, and they were very relaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we could kind of. His mum was awesome, but she kind of just let us do whatever we want. And we were like, you know, seventeen, so we probably needed some parental supervision. But yeah, we yeah. would just do whatever we want. So he kind of had this open house that we would just every Friday party at. Like wow. it was like she wasn't around all the time or she would be around, she didn't care. So that was like definitely, we didn't even have to sneak out because it was like we'd just be like going to this dude's house wow. and then it's like all hell would break loose. And would there be like big parties? like? Yeah, pretty big. I mean, it was probably there was probably a group of like 12 to 15 of us mm-hmm. that it was like every Friday and mm-hmm. Saturday was like at this guy's place. <laughs> Partying, doing all, you know, experiencing all that stuff. And it was, yeah, it was like a real growing experience. Mm-hmm. And did you have a car in high school? No, I, I still don't have a car. I don't drive. Okay. So, oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You, don't, you don't need one in Melbourne? Like, it's no, really. Yeah, Melbourne has, like, great public transport. Oh, amazing. Like, so you can train everywhere. We have trams, like the cable cars they have mm-hmm. in San Francisco, whatever. So it's really easy to get around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just never, I was never really into cars. Like, that was, like people either had that bug mm. or they didn't and I was like why would you get a car I was yeah. like you just drink and catch the train or like <laughs> yeah. brilliant exactly it's so full progressive yeah. I love that so much it's worked out so well <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel like you can draw a line from that Kings of Leon album um, to your own music yeah definitely and like you were saying that's uh, that Kings of Leon music like it wasn't it wasn't what you would call like textbook blues or anything, but mm-hmm. it had those elements, and especially those first two albums. Mm-hmm. It was like I could hear everything I loved about not only like Stones and the Faces, but like Chuck Berry mm-hmm. and like Bo Diddley and and Slim Harpo and all this stuff. Like they would use, you know, kind of like some of those, like that kind of like sexual innuendo that like Slim Harpo would use on like King B. Right. They would use those type of things and have like a Bo Diddley beat with this real kind of like punky, like Tom Petty guitar. Well, I'm a King B. Buzzing around your high. Well, I'm a King B. Buzzing around your high. Well, I can make. It was, that was always, I was always drawn more, I love old blues music, I love listening to it and playing it, but I was always drawn to like wanting to make my own version of that music, Mm -hmm. 
then to like you know do a whole set of covering Freddie King songs or whatever. Right. And like I love Freddie King, but I just really wanted to write my own blues music. And like Jimi Hendrix would talk about how like his music was like the blues music of his age and experience. Right. And so like Manic Depression, he just thought of that as like a modern blues. That was like something that kind of opened my mind to it. And then with Kings of Leon, the Black Keys were a big one of that, that they were doing, they were playing blues music, but writing it themselves and making it themselves. And that was like, I was like, I want to do that. Right. So that was, that era of that rock and roll revival you're talking about was like, maybe like the most impactful for you? Yeah. In terms of like figuring out what you wanted to do? I think so, definitely. And it kind of got me out of, I guess, like before then, a lot of it was like, you know, just about guitar. So mm -hmm. it was like just my guitar heroes, like loved Clapton, loved mm -hmm. Hendrix, all that stuff. And then I think this was me starting to get a little bit more into like just playing guitar isn't enough. Mm -hmm. I want to somehow work out how to write songs mm -hmm. and also be like a front man and sing. I loved yeah. the singer of Kings of Leon's voice. I loved that kind of raspy like quality rough quality to his voice and i was like that's what i want to sound like and i want to you know write modern blues and i also want to put like guitar stuff in it it was like kind of taking all these things and putting them together and how did you figure out how to write like how do you do that it yeah it's a weird it's a weird one i think i think uh originally like so on the kings of leon thing like i was like i want to find a band I want to be part of a band. Like, I never wanted to be a solo artist. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be part of a band, but I could never find anyone that wanted to be in a band. Right. And it was like, I think at that time as well, even with that rock revival thing, I do think it was like, it was uncool to play guitar amongst mm -hmm. people that I hung out with. Okay. Like, it wasn't like 
people were fawning over mm. guitarists and stuff. It was probably the start of like DJs and like right. pop stars and stuff. The John Mayer wave had gone away. Yeah, it was there a little bit, but it was yeah. like people didn't really care about guitars. I didn't have any other friends that played an instrument. My one other friend, my best friend Dovey, he played classical violin. So it was like we kind of had common ground, right. but it's like worlds apart still. Right. So like I couldn't find anyone to be in a band with or I'd find people that'd be really into it and they wouldn't show up to rehearsal and mm. it would just fall apart. So I kind of, out of necessity, just started playing myself. So like acoustic guitar mm-hmm. in like a pub. There was a guy who was like, we were still not of age, but he would let us come in and have like a beer or whatever. Nice. And my friend was like, you should get Hamish to play here whatever. So he kind of gave me my first experience of playing like in a pub. And you would learn like, you know, you'd have to play for like two hours. So you would learn basically like a bunch of covers. And I think by learning all those cover songs, like Beatles songs or whoever it was, Bob Dylan songs or whatever, I think that kind of made me understand songcraft mm-hmm. and like, you know, how a verse connects to a chorus and, you know, how you should go this many times around and then hit the bridge and whatever. And all that stuff, I think, started to make me understand how songs were put together. Mm. So then I would like, you know, I would try and sneak in maybe one of my songs amongst like mm. covers. And, you know, if it went over well and people thought it was like a Beatles song or they hadn't heard or whatever, that was kind of like gaining a little bit of confidence with that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I really started to write, the first song I wrote that I actually liked was called Winter. Okay. And I was like 18, it was at school. And it was like, it was the first time that something that I wrote people, I could tell people reacted to mm-hmm. and kind of identified with. Mm-hmm. And like right after the year school finished, I was kind of, I was kind of confused at how to like, the songs that I was writing, especially that song was like a ballad, like just a straight up kind of ballad. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of, I didn't know how to connect like the guitar playing with the writing, you know, the blues stuff with mm-hmm. the more folky stuff like I didn't know how to connect it all together and the first time I came to America was the year after I graduated uh, high, uh, school and I came over with my parents to do like a, I was going to do a two-week course at MI okay. that was like the first week was like a guitar course okay. and the second week was songwriting and this is kind of what many musicians go through I think when they kind of think do I want to go to a college and study music or is it like I'm just going to go out and try and do it mm-hmm. So I did like the first, the first week, the guitar thing, I went in super cocky okay. and it like completely knocked me on my ass, which was great. <laughs> you needed that. Yeah. It was like, I was going through my whole like Stevie Ray phase that everyone goes through, I think. So mm-hmm. I was playing the Strat. Right. I was playing all the Stevie Ray licks. And it was like on the first day, I remember the, the guy was like, everyone in here is probably thinking like, you know, they're the greatest guitarist, but this week is going to like, you know, teach a couple things. And I was like, um. I'm good. I got it. And then it was like, <laughs> this guy was like the guitar teacher. I was doing the whole, Steve Ray Vaughan does that kind of rake thing, yeah. which sounds great, but he hits it real aggressive. And I would do that on every note. And the guy yeah. was like, you have to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> was like, you have to learn how to play the notes individually. Not every note can be that. And that was, it pissed me off so much at first, but yeah. it's it's been a very great lesson. Um, and then the second week was the songwriting week. And I'd only written like, yeah, that one song, uh, or like one or two songs that I liked and everything else was crap at that stage. And I just, there was like a class that we had where there was this guy called Alan Rich who I hadn't heard of, but he was like a songwriter who he'd um, worked on that film, The Bodyguard. He'd written mm-hmm. music for that for Whitney Houston oh, wow. and like, yeah, all these amazing artists. And he took the class and everyone would play their song 
and then you know he would like talk about what worked and what didn't work Mm -hmm. and I was super shy about my writing so I sat at the very back of the class and I was hoping that like it would just be times up and it wouldn't get to me and then I could just go on with my day. But uh, so he got to me and he was like, oh, you know, you should play a song. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he was like, well, you came all the way from Australia. Like you should, you know, play it. So I played it and he he was like, like flipped out. Mm-hmm. And he was like, did you write that? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, can you stay back after class? Wow. So yeah, I stayed back. And it was really, I think that was like the moment where I thought maybe I can actually do this or... So, if I keep going and he was like I see like a lot of raw you know talent and like potential and yeah that's the stuff that he kind of instilled in me at that moment I think made me feel like I could do it six days and seven nights in this freezing cold is young love really meant to make me feel this old it take time to realize that we had to realize now that I'm never coming back we'll say our goodbyes in winter as tattered hearts grow so cold and don't you ever say this won't be the last time We'll say our goodbyes in winter And I lost my innocence when I looked into your eyes I lost all my faith when our words turned to lies The prophet has now spoken all Curtain must now fall This our final chapter The ending of it all Oh We'll say our goodbyes in winter Oh, as tattered hearts grow so cold And don't you ever say This won't be the last time We'll say our goodbyes in winter And oh, here comes the cold And bringing with it the heart Break that holds. Oh no, no, oh no. We'll say our goodbyes in winter. As tattered hearts grow so cold. Don't you ever say this won't be the last time I'll say my goodbyes, you'll say your goodbyes We'll say our goodbyes in winter Six days and seven nights in this freezing cold 
Is young love really meant to make me feel it's so? That tr whole trip was like a real turning point for me, I think, because as well as like feeling like I could write songs and maybe do that, the in between the two weeks of that course, the Crossroads concert was happening. So the 2010 mm -hmm. Crossroads concert in uh, Chicago. Yep. And, you know, my dad was like, we're here, like we should like go because, you know, we're all the way over here. So we got like last minute tickets. Wow. We flew at like 5 a.m. from L.A. to Chicago for like literally the weekend it was on and then back to L.A. Mm -hmm. And we, we went there and it was like, it was the same thing where I was trying to figure out like what would my, how could I do my interpretation of the blues with my writing and my music and stuff. And around that time, John Mayer was massive. Right. And I really liked John Mayer. Right. But I didn't want to be, like everyone, I think because like, had like curly hair and played guitar. They were like, oh, it's like John Mayer. And yeah. I was like, no, I don't really want to be poppy like John Mayer. Right. Like I I really love, you know, Kings of Leon and like Slim Harpo and Jimmy Reed and all this stuff, but I don't know how to combine it. And, uh, and, and Gary played. And that was like, I'd never heard of Gary before. Mm -hmm. And it just like, I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was, it was so electric. That was the Bright Lights performance mm -hmm. where like the power cut out as well. Mm -hmm and then came back on and it was just so it was just so exactly like I identified with it instantly mm -hmm. and he he took his time with his playing like that's the thing about Gary is he always just leaves so much space and can play right. two notes that's uh, more than most people who play a thousand notes right. and I was like that's what I want to do I want to like he was it kind of like had elements of the Black Keys and it also had elements of like Steve Ray Vaughan but it wasn't like one of those Stevie clone people but it had that spirit I guess mm -hmm. and I, I was like I just identify with it and that kind of opened another little window in my brain where I was I don't know it just kind of made it made sense to me and I, I've actually never met anyone who's at that performance mm -hmm. and I, I think in the guitar world a lot of people know that that was like his real breakout performance yeah but what was that like obviously you were impacted by it but like what was like the crowd's reaction like how what was the energy like when you yeah. were up there it was electric because it was it was like he came out and he started playing and I, and I don't think anyone really you know knew much about him so it was it was kind of just like whatever at first when guy, he came out yeah. he started playing it was really good and the power just went out so they were still playing on stage but no one could really hear it oh, wow. so the whole audience started to like kind of yell and be like, what the fuck's happening? And they were just continuing on. You could hear it really faintly. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert when the sound goes out, it's mm -hmm. really weird. It's like being underwater. It is. Yeah, and uh, so that was happening for a while and they're just kind of doing their thing. And when the sound came back on, mm -hmm. it was like in the middle of his solo. Oh, wow. And the whole place just went fucking crazy.
Then that was like that version is like seven minutes because I think the power went yeah. out that they were just playing it that one chord <laughs> for ages. But it was it was it was one of those moments where it's like I think everyone in there was like that's you know that's what it must have been like when those people sometimes when those people talk about like seeing Jimi Hendrix whatever you're always like I was it like that amazing or is this just like fable right you know over time whatever. But I think it was that type of moment where it was like he had so much command yeah. and so much presence that the whole place just like lit up. That's so amazing. Yeah. And when I remember like the first night I met him, I was talking about, I was like, oh, I saw you at the crossroads. He's like, oh yeah, when the power went out. <laughs> like, it was like, <laughs> he that knows. Was the, yeah. He knows. It was the first thing. So, but yeah, it was, it was definitely just so commanding. Mm-hmm. And on the DVD, it's awesome because I think you hear the whole audio in full. So it doesn't have the bit when it cut out. It has what they were playing. Right. And it's just funny to think about that moment that like half that song on his breakout performance, yeah. no one could even hear yeah. what was happening. Like, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And then you got to meet him. Yeah. How was that? That was pretty crazy. It was That was like a couple of years later. So I was coming over to America to uh, do a showcase in LA. Mm-hmm. And then like a little tour with like, there was like another Australian band on it and some other bands. It was like a radio review thing mm-hmm. that we were doing. So I was going to be in LA for like five months or so. Super excited. Didn't really have huge expectations because I just was kind of going with the flow and I was just excited to be coming over to America and um, I was doing a show in New York at Rockwood okay. super early on and uh, the night before I went to see um, Kristen who's my manager now she was working with a different band and me and a friend went to Piano Bar to see them play mm-hmm. and their whole set was like riddled with feedback issues you said piano bar in new york yeah yeah um and i i have like nightmares about like feedback and stuff so i was like i need to go i can't be around this because it's gonna (laughs) (laughs) fuck with me mentally yeah so i left and it was before a show so i'm always like i never go out before shows i'm always really boring and like and then later that night i got a text from kristen she's like oh guess who like turned up and it was gary and Mm -hmm. i was like fuck i was like i missed my chance to like meet gary so i was super bummed (laughs) out and then the next day i was playing my gig and I looked out and the first person I saw was Gary. 
and it was like second song in. Wow. Felt like a shot go through my hand. <laughs> just being like, got to And there weren't that many people there. So it was like he stuck out, like, yeah, a, yeah. you know. And I was just like, shit. And so, like, I played and got through the set, and we did pretty good, I think. And then, uh, yeah, I met him afterwards, and he was just really complimentary. Mm-hmm. And, and really complimentary, like, not only about guitar playing stuff, but about, like, the songs and, like, my singing and stuff, which that was really awesome because it's, like, yeah, just really reassuring. And we just hung out that night and, like, spoke about yeah, the Crossroads thing and spoke about, like, Albert King and mm-hmm. Doyle and, like, all these, you know, just mutual stuff that we loved. And I was, like, high after that. I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, you know, <laughs> I had two friends in town that they were like, what? They were like, it was crazy. Yeah. Like, it was just, like, really cool. And then, yeah, it was like a, like a week later or something, someone texted me and they were like, I think, uh, Gary Clark just mentioned you on Revolt TV. Oh, wow. And I didn't even know what Revolt TV was. So. I was, that interview, that's crazy. I was working at Revolt. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wasn't able to be in town, but I helped set up that interview oh, when man. he came to LA and did the whole thing. That's, that's crazy. That's so wild. Yeah. And it's so, it's, it's crazy now as well. Like even when I see that clip, like it's just random that that guy, cause he asked, he was like, who are, like who are guitarists under 30 mm-hmm. that you think are like good or whatever mm-hmm. and he mentioned me first and it's wow. just so random that like that that guy even asked that question because yeah, it's such an yeah. odd kind of very specific yeah question. exactly yeah. that it was just like so then someone sent me the clip and i was just like i remember i screamed yes so loud <laughs> in my apartment that someone told me to shut the fuck up <laughs> from like the apartment next door that it was just like yeah it was crazy i couldn't like it was just and that was you know that's within like four months of coming over to LA three months or whatever like so it was cool yeah it was just really crazy and yeah it was it was really that was a really really crazy time oh man wow yeah that's such a beautiful story um and to go back to like the first point that got us on that story that ballad you said you wrote winter yeah when you wrote that song was there like another song that you were like trying to pattern it after that you were trying to yeah, I think I think it probably would have been. Um, it was probably like "Don't Think Twice, It's Alright" by Bob Dylan. Like it's kind of that like kind of finger picking. And it ain't no use in the turning on your light, babe. The light I never knowed. And it ain't no use in turning on your light, babe I'm on the dark side of the road But I wish there was something you would do or say To try and make me change my mind and stay But we never did too much talking anyway But don't think twice, it's all right Calling out my name, gal Like you never done before And it ain't no use in calling out my name, gal I can't hear you anymore I'm a-thinking and a-wondering Walking down the road I once loved a woman A child, I am told I give her my heart But she wanted my soul don't think twice, it's all right. 
Yeah, Bob Dylan was like, that was that was another thing, like as well as being into like the rock and roll stuff and the blues stuff, mm-hmm. I, especially around that, on that America trip, I got really big on the singer-songwriter stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff was just like, I just loved. And Bob Dylan I loved because there were so many different versions of him that it was like right. a lot of people I think, and I love all that early stuff. It's amazing. But they just think of him as the acoustic guitar, the harmonica. Right. And I loved that stuff, but I also really loved the 70s Rolling Thunder stuff. And yeah. I loved I loved the 90s, the Daniel Lanois stuff he did mm-hmm. and everything. And again, it was like a lot of it was his interpretation of blues music and mm-hmm. country music. And I could hear all these things. I think anything that has like, I think it, more than anything, I just love history. So anything totally. that kind of encompasses all that history of music like Clapton does or mm-hmm. any of those people that's just really when I'm like that's what I want to do like I love people's interpretation of blues music and using references to Willie Dixon stuff and mm-hmm. all that stuff so that was like yeah I think it was probably patterned after that and I was going through a big Bob Dylan phase mm-hmm. yeah. he just I think on his not his last album but the album before he did a cover of uh, Young at Heart yeah yeah did you hear that yeah and it's like He's so old. Yeah. Like, to hear him sing Young at Heart, like, I definitely, I have definitely cried to that. Yeah. <laughs> that song is so beautiful. That's the thing. I love, like, a lot of people obviously have a love-hate relationship with Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And I've been lucky to see him live a bunch of times. And I've loved it every time. Like, mm-hmm. I almost love the older day Dylan as much as the early stuff. Just because it has, like, it's like watching those old blues guys. Like, mm-hmm. he's kind of turned into if you know, if we lived in the seventies and we were like, oh, you know, seeing Muddy Waters or something, right. he's kind of become that. Like mm-hmm. he's that type of like folklore figure that's still out there doing it and roaming the earth and mm-hmm. and still is like a gateway to that time and that music. It's like you're you're right. It really you you're able to time travel when, especially when you see him in concert. But when you listen to his music, it's yeah. like it really is a way. It's like a gateway to the past. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's so sweet. yeah. It's a really that's the magical thing about music is like mm-hmm. that it does that and takes you on that journey. And it's just yeah, it's the most powerful thing about it probably. Yeah, and don't think twice. It's all right. Is I'm not alone in thinking this probably, but it's one of the most beautiful songs yeah like ever written oh yeah it's absolutely like the way he like there's so many different emotions yeah like in the lyrics not to mention the music like wow yeah just wanted that just wanted to put that it's true it's yeah it's one of my favorites yeah shadows are falling and i've been here all day it's too hot to sleep and time is running away Feel like my soul has turned into steel I've still got the scars at the Sunday nail There's not even room enough to be anywhere It's not dark yet does this Bob Dylan not dark yet? Does that tie into? Yeah, well, that okay. was that was that same. So, like, basically after the Crossroads thing, 
um, when I was still in New York, I I think I I mean by that stage it must have been like an iPod or something. I can't quite remember. Mm -hmm. It must have been an iPod, but for some reason whatever I was listening on, I had a really small amount of music on. So the only things I remember being on there was that Bob Dylan album Time Out of Mind and Grace by Jeff Buckley. Wow. And that was like again another one of those those two songs uh well not dark yet and then love you should have come over they're just so powerful emotionally mm -hmm. like that's when i was kind of like i think i think my thing's gonna be like i what i want to do is write songs that just convey emotion so much like those songs mm -hmm. like it was it it was uh and that's what winter was kind of like like it was very kind of heavy i guess topic wise and mm -hmm. and just like hard on the sleeve type thing and that was where i kind of found comfort in mm -hmm. and like i went to new york after the crossroads thing and i just remember like walking through new york and listening to those two songs over and over again and that was when i was like i'm gonna do it like i'm gonna pursue music i'm not gonna go to college mm -hmm. i'm gonna just like go out and try and do music and i want my thing to be more than anything probably writing like yeah. i love being a guitar player and i love singing whatever but the thing i think that brings me the most joy is writing music wow well it's also really interesting because i kind of have my playlist broken down by season mm -hmm. and uh don't think twice sorry is definitely on my winter playlist yeah so that's uh <laughs> there you go. that is a really cool connection um wow how about that the last thing i want to say is um on just on the topic of ipods i remember I hope you don't have a story like this, but if you do, please share. The iPod I had in high school was like my prized possession. Mm. Like I was just all about music, yeah. all about music. And I probably had, I think it was like a 30 gigabyte iPod, yeah. which like I thought that was so much music at the time. Yeah. And now it's like nowhere near enough. Yeah, it's crazy. There was this girl I really liked in high school. And I remember she was really big into music too. And so what we used to do was like she would come over to my house and like we would burn cds for each other like off of itunes and i remember after like enough time of us hanging out i just thought this would be like the most romantic gesture i was like you know what why don't you just hang on to my ipod if we're gonna be seeing each other like <laughs> you should just hang on to my ipod and then we'll just like listen to it when we're together yeah yeah and so i gave her my ipod and literally never saw her again after oh, wow <laughs> damn she got an ipod out of it i really want my ipod back man i want to check it down <laughs> exactly damn that's cold makes me so sad sometimes a man gets carried away he feels like he should be <laughs> wow thank you so much for coming on the podcast Hamish thank you for having me man I had a blast this was uh, it's a great trip down memory lane yes 
I feel like I learned a lot about Melbourne. Yeah. Um, have you it? been to Melbourne? I've never been. You got to do that. It's definitely on the bucket list. Yeah, you got to do that. I actually that. have a friend in Melbourne. What's up, Jesse? I know you're going to listen to this. There you go. We got to hang out. Um, what was the name of the pub, by the way? Oh, the ESPY. The ESPY. Yeah. Okay, so that will be top of the bucket list when I come to Melbourne. It's a good one. It's a, It depends on the night you go to now. Okay. Some nights it can be a little uh, dance clubby oh, vibe. Okay, 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 and then okay. other nights you'll go and you'll see an awesome okay. rock band. So. Okay, so what's like the bar we got to go to that's just like... Uh, there's just a chill. Yeah, uh, there's a really good bar called Leonard's House of Love. Leonard's House of Love. That's kind of like I don't know if you've been to Davy Wayne's out here. No. That's like yeah, it's like kind of like that uh, like seventies, like something out of Boogie Nights. Okay. It's just kind of like plays real good music, real good burgers. Could be uh, just kind of good vibes. I'm into that. Okay, yeah. so we'll go to tell me the name again. Leonard's House of Love. <laughs> Leonard's House of Love. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, and um, I can't wait to go to Melbourne. Yeah, I'll see you there. Cool, sounds good. Sweet. This my time machine. Take me way back. Way back. This my time machine. Take me way back. Way, way. This my time machine. Take me way back. Way back. Take me four and four. This ain't just a call. This my time machine. Well, what a treat to hear some music from Hamish himself. Cheers, mate. That might be the last time I do an Australian accent. I'm so sorry. Um, anyway, so with songwriting, I'm always curious to learn about how people utilize their influence. Knowing that Hamish used Dylan's Don't Think Twice as a reference for his song Winter makes perfect sense. You can kind of hear it in the way that Hamish picks at his guitar. It's like, it's almost like his song is being haunted by the ghost of Don't Think Twice, but in the best way. You know, Don't Think Twice is this, really a collage of emotions, some emotions that kind of are at odds with each other. And as I grow older, it's so interesting to kind of discover the lines that I relate to more and less. And, you know, music is really funny in that way. When I was a teenager, probably thanks to the movie 40 Year Old Virgin, I thought Michael McDonald was so corny, and now I'm fully sailing on the Yacht Rock train, or boat, or I guess just, yeah, whatever. Anyway, as y'all heard in season one, I wasn't really a fan of Drake back in the day, and now, now I like defend him in arguments. It's kind of crazy. So y'all need to know that I'm a huge fan of the blues, and I'm quite happy that I finally got to nerd out a little bit with a fellow blues head. So thank you so much, Hamish, for the memories and the tunes. Thanks to my man, Jason Crow for producing this. I'm Samantha Ashrawi, and we'll catch you next time. And it ain't no use to sit here and wonder why, babe. It'll never do somehow When your rooster crows at the break of day Look out your window in I'm away You're the reason I keep traveling on But don't think twice It's alright And it ain't no use In turning on your light babe. The light I Never known And it ain't no use In a turning on your light, babe I'm on the dark side of the road 
And I'm thinking and I'm wondering Walking down the road I once loved a woman A child now I'm told I give her my heart But she wanted my soul But don't think twice It's alright So long, long, honey, babe Where I'm bound I can't tell Goodbye's too good a word, babe So I just say fairly well And I ain't saying You treated me unkind You could have done better, girl, but I don't mind You just kind of wasted all my precious time But don't think twice, it's alright I can remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I very fucked up the lyrics. Sorry, Bob Dylan. <laughs>